have a seat. I'm back. Uh, long before Amazon and the wish list, so some of us can think of this time, some of us can't, and that's fine. Uh, there was this thing called, in a show of hands, the Sears Catalog. Yes? Okay. Some people know what the Sears Catalog is, and it's wonderness, wonderfulness, wonderness, one, the wondrous thing of the Sears Catalog. We get it. Others of you will have to Google this to find out, but what it was was the 600-page stack of everything you could ever want. It was, remember the, the one section was tires and brakes, and the next session was uh, wall decorations, right? Everything you'd want. So every fall, something would come in the mail, and it was exciting, and my mom would bring it in, and she would drop it on the table. It was huge, so it made a sound. She'd drop it on the table, and then my sister and my brothers and I would start flipping through it. Uh, this just wasn't any catalog. This, these were options for Christmas. And we would flip through them and look at them and go, I want that, I want this, and we'd circle it, and then we'd put it on our list. This was our Christmas list population, okay? Now you just kind of click on it, put the wish list, and it emails people. There's, there's not as much fun in this anymore. Uh, and so there'd be things like a 40-inch big screen TV. Yep, I'm going to put that on my list. It could fit in my bedroom. And it wasn't what we have here where they're that thin. No, remember those? They were like this big, and then they were like that thick, right? And they had the lights underneath. I wanted one of those. All the G.I. Joe figures, all of them. Uh, I, I put them all on the list. Even if I had them, I could probably use a new Sergeant Slaughter. I wanted a new one, and I put it on the list. A 21-speed mountain bike. Sounds good. It's on the list. You all remember doing this? You circle it. And, you, and if, we were, if we were wise, uh, we would put a page number. Yes, I want the 21-speed mountain bike as displayed on page 365. And then you'd circle it, right? You'd give your parents a little, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. Uh, it didn't have to be justified. I didn't have to justify the big screen. I didn't have to put, put a, a three-point plan on anything that I wanted. I just said, I wanted this, and it never hurt to ask. This was sheer hedonism. It was for my pleasure only. And no one else would get to play with this. And we didn't feel bad. Mom gave us the book in order for us to do this. She said, pick out what you want, and Dad went along with it. It's so it was their fault that we would ask for the most ridiculous things. And sometimes the most ridiculous things would show up. And other times we'd forget about them and they wouldn't show up. And that's fine. But when we think about prayer, and we're in the, the, the fourth week of our prayer series on how to pray, most of us look at prayer sort of like the Sears catalog, where we just ask for everything. And that's good. That's what prayer is. Coming to God with a Sears catalog style of request is okay to do. Even people who don't believe in God, who don't practice prayer, who aren't at church on Sunday mornings, they wouldn't call themselves Christians, still look at prayer as if it's asking God for something. And that's the literal meaning for prayer. It means to ask earnestly. Uh, the Latin roots for prayer mean to entreat, mean, mean to come to somebody with a request. So it's no wonder that when we think of prayer, it's always asking God for parking spots. We pray for parking spots, especially when it's raining and cold. Safe travels, healing, guidance, dates. Yep. Uh, we pray for our sports teams. We pray for our pets. We pray for protection. We pray for everything, and that's good. That's simply asking God for something we want. 
And then when we pause and look at the Lord's Prayer, that's exactly what Jesus did. Sure, it starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is where we begin. We pray to a good Father who wants to give us the Sears catalog. He wants that for us. And then we say, bring your kingdom. That's a request. We want God's will done in our lives. That's a good thing to have. Then we say, forgive us our daily bread. Uh, forgive us our sins. Lead, not, lead us not into temptation. Protect us from evil. All of these are asking God for something, which is awesome. Sometimes we worry about it being selfish. I don't know if I can ask God for this. It's purely a selfish desire. And, and, and we, we shouldn't shy away from this. We shouldn't go away because we're praying for this big, audacious gift. That's why Jesus said, you can ask for anything in my name in John 14. The word anything means anything in my name, and I will do it. We ask God for things. Matthew 7, 7 says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those, the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened to you. What's this sound like? You're asking God to move. James 4 says, you don't have things because you cease to ask or you're not asking for them. How, does, how, do you, how do you get something unless you ask for something? One theologian named Karl Barth, if you care to know his name, said that we can get so lost in the profound thought of prayer that we lose ourselves in the heights and depths and we forget that prayer is simply making a request known to God at its basic function. After all, we are children of a good father who loves us and loves to give us gifts and loves for us to pray to him. And Jesus shows us this. Asking God for something is normal part of our prayer lives. But when Jesus does the Lord's Prayer, it wasn't normal for them to hear this sort of thing. Jesus, when he was, gave the Lord's Prayer, was building on a familiar prayer called the Kaddish, which is not, nor, which is not uncommon for a teacher or a rabbi of that day to take a, a contemporary teaching and amplify on it. This is what Jesus did with the, the Lord's Prayer. The first a few lines of the Kaddish says this, glorified and sanctified be God's great name throughout the world, which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during our lives. What's that sound like? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the same prayer. But Jesus adds to it. This would have been a bit shocking. He took this traditional prayer and then started to build on it tradition or a practice of seeking God's blessing. He, start, he adds asking. He asks God to meet our needs, our desires which was a new concept for them in many ways. And in Jesus' day, it was probably a difficult idea for many people to get around their minds that day. And honestly, for us, it's probably a difficult idea for us to get around the asking here too. Even though prayer, we know, is about asking, we, like the people in James's church, don't ask. And I think I know why. And, and it, it goes back to this this theology that we all hold even though we don't hold it and I don't think it's a good theology it says we say to ourselves if God is all-knowing and he is if God knows everything about you and he does then why do I have to ask shouldn't he just give it to me without my asking shouldn't he just meet my need even though it's unspoken remember the unspoken prayer requests shouldn't God just know what that is and I don't have to ask him for it 
Well, there's this time when Jesus was walking and he was walking into a town uh, called Jericho. And as usual, this is found in Mark, as usual, there was a big crowd of people following him and he was walking out of the gates. They rebuilt it after, after Joshua came through. And he was walking out of Jericho and Mark 10 tells us about a man named Bartimaeus, who I'm going to shorten to Bart, because if he was my friend, I would call him Bart. Bart was sitting at the side of the road. He was blind. Everyone knew blind Bart. They called him blind Bartimaeus. And so when he was there, he, Jesus is walking by, and Bartimaeus is over in the corner, Bart sitting over there in Bart's spot, and he starts shouting to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Probably repetitive, probably overly loud. Everyone's looking at him. Some in the crowd tried to shut him up going, hey, Bart, chill. He didn't hear you. You're fine. Stay there. But Bart kept yelling and he yelled louder. Eventually, Jesus made his way over to him and watch what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Which, all due respect and honor to Jesus, great. But isn't that an obvious question? The man's blind. He hasn't seen. Everybody knows that Bart's blind. Yet Jesus goes to him, calls him closer, and says, what would you like? Bart said, well, I'd like a new towel. No, no, no. Bart said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus responds, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he receives sight and follow Jesus along the road. It's a small story in Mark, but it displays for us something that Jesus knew what Bart needed. Jesus wanted Bart to ask, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, Bart had to ask the question. This is seen all, this, this concept of asking God for your obvious needs is seen all through Scripture. The people of Israel ask God for food. Elijah asked God for rain. Samuel asked God for nat- national prosperity. David asked for his uh, enemies to be defeated. And Jesus asked God to bless the fish and loaves. Asking is a part of our relationship with God. Therefore, what we learn about God in all of these isn't that he's dumb to our needs, but rather he is awaiting us to ask him for what we need. He's waiting for us to invite him into the situation so that he can provide our needs. And there's reasons why. There's three reasons why that I think that we should be asking. The first that we see is that asking God for something is deeply relational. Yeah, we could just sit there silently in the corner by the gates while Jesus moves by and never ask him to do something for us. And he could heal us that way. But asking God, asking Jesus that day allowed Bart to have an interaction with Jesus. There was a relationship that was built. Did you notice the last part of his story? And he followed Jesus down the road. He didn't just get what he asked for and then took off. No, there was a relationship that began. This isn't uncommon just to Bartimaeus. For example, the woman, uh, there was a woman in Mark 5 who was bleeding for a long time. We don't know how long. And she had exhausted all of her resources. And yet she knows that if she touches Jesus' robe, that she'll be healed. And so she does that. She goes, if I could just, I don't have to speak to him. I don't have to ask him anything. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed and the bleeding will stop and I can go back to my normal way of life. That was what she could have done and that's what she wanted to do. But do you know the story? 
She touches Jesus' garment, and Mark 5 says that Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And the disciples go, Master, there's like a lot of people here. People are bumping into you. What do you mean someone touched you? And he says, I felt power leave from me. And so he stops, and he speaks to her. There was a relationship that was built there. There was eye-to-eye contact with Jesus, and he says, your faith has made you well. The physical needs were met for her. But the acknowledgement of her existence was also met. There was the need, and then there was the deeper need that Jesus fell into and Jesus met. That was the relational need. Our asking builds relationships. The healing and the receiving the healing was just the beginning. So when we ask God for something, when we ask Jesus for something, it's building our relationships. It's, it's, it's a conversation. Jesus, I need this. We need this. Jesus, would you move in this place? We're building a relationship with him. Yes, he'll meet your need. But in the way you're asking, you are building an ongoing relationship with like Bartimaeus and this woman, and you'll continue following him throughout your days. That's the goal, that the relationship wouldn't just be a transactional one, but it'll be a formative one. Relationship is what asking gives. And also, asking, uh, we also ask because it makes us vulnerable. To ask for something means that you can't meet the need yourselves. I have a, a friend who's a missionary in Nepal, and I ask him all the time when he's in town or over email. He sends the best stories. And, and I ask him, how come you can ask for things to happen, and they happen like this? What, what are we doing wrong? And he said, oh, we ask because we have no other option. We are completely broken, and we have no other way of meeting our needs. God has to meet our needs. That's a vulnerable statement, right? He says when we get sick, we go to 7-Eleven and buy a thing of NyQuil so we can sleep at night. They don't have 7-Elevens where he's at. They don't have cough medicine. They have to ask, and it's, a, it's entering into a vulnerable place where they have to have Jesus meet their needs. And that vulnerability is something that they have to learn. It's something that we have to learn. This shows up with the man, the man with leprosy in Luke. Uh, he comes through and, and, and normally he'd, he'd be shouting unclean, unclean as he walks through the, the town and everyone would, would spread out. And he's vulnerable at that time. He's telling everybody around him, no one can touch me. No one can come near to me. Don't even look at me. He'd have hoods. He'd have scarves. Everyone would, would make the V around them. They don't want to be within like six feet of him. Six feet to slow the spread. They don't want to be around six feet of him. And so they just go around them and, and keep moving. Yet Jesus walks up to him. And Jesus says, again, what, what, do, you, what do you want me to do? And the leper says, if you're willing, would you heal me? And Jesus' response is what? I am willing. Be clean. You're healed. And then Jesus does something else to this man. It's not just a, a healing. The vulnerability of this man brought him to the feet of Jesus. He had to embarrass himself in front of his whole town. He brought him to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus reached out and touched him. The need was to be healed, but the touch met the deeper need. This man probably hadn't been touched in years. Not even the bump as you walk by somebody on the sidewalk. Not even, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. Not even that. Jesus reaches out and touches him. We don't know where he touched him. Could have been the shoulder, the head, the hand. We don't know. But the vulnerability of this man brought him to a place of asking and led him to a place where not only his need was met, but his emotions were healed. The vulnerability that he showed brought him to Christ. 
And Jesus met him in that vulnerability. Asking is vulnerable. Asking your friends for help with something is vulnerable, even if it's asking them if you can borrow their lawnmower for an afternoon. That's vulnerable. It means that you can't meet your need and you need some help. Asking's vulnerable and Jesus wants to meet you in your vulnerable places. Asking is also intentional. It involves us realizing and expressing what we need. It involves our free will coming to God saying, meet me here. God comes to where he is welcomed. It's what we see all over scripture. If we want God to be there, we have to ask him to be there. Sometimes what keeps us asking him for something is our pride. We don't, we don't want to disturb him. We, 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 don't, we don't want that. We, it, my problems are so small. He's got other problems like Ukraine and, and East Palestine, Ohio, and everything else that we're going to read on the news later this week. He's got all that stuff to worry about. Why would he care about my need. It takes intentionality to go to him. We can think we can handle our own issues, but we can't. Again, in Mark 5, there's another story uh, within the story of the woman who touched Jesus. There was a man named Jairus who originally came to Jesus that morning. His daughter was dying, and he needed help. And he comes to Jesus and says, uh, would you heal my daughter? And Jesus is like, yep, let's go. And so he's walking. And as they're walking, he's probably saying, come on, we're we're going too slow. Let's go. We're, we're going way too slow. Uh, the woman touches Jesus' garment and stops the movement. And the man, I could see him going like this if he had sundials on their thing going, oh, okay, we need help. Come on, Jesus, what's happening? And while Jesus is talking to the woman there, another series of people come over and they tell Jairus, hey, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus stops his conversation and looks at Jairus in that moment and says, uh, this is in Mark 5, 36, don't be afraid, just believe. I, I know your need. I know every step it took for you to swallow your pride. You've wasted all your resources trying to fix this. I know your need. Don't be afraid, just believe. When we pray, We're asking God out of our need for something. We're expressing him what we want. We want a relationship with him. More than anything, we want a relationship with Jesus. We're vulnerable, and we have to be intentional about what we ask for. Jesus wants to meet our needs, but even more than asking us asking and meeting our needs, he wants us to have a relationship with him. This is the beauty of prayer. So, which is the question, and we're doing this series, and how do we pray? How should we ask How many of us are asking God for something right now? I am. We all should be asking God for something. However, it's not just any kind of flippant asking. Jesus says this, ask anything. And then he adds this phrase, in my name, and I'll do it. And so we'll say, uh, Jesus, thank you for the food, and please give me a million dollars. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We we treat that as like a... uh, A tagline, like an abracadabra. This will solve all the problems. Well, I asked Jesus in his name if I would win the billion-dollar lottery, so I expect to get it, right? We think that that's just how it works, but it's not. There's more to this. To ask in Jesus' name means that we ask for the things that are consistent with Jesus' character and that are aligned with God's purpose. This is what asking in Jesus' name meant. And we know that our God is good, 
We know that our God loves us. So it's easy to think of the good things that we're desiring, the good things that we need, and go, yeah, this lines up with the character of Jesus. Yes, this lines up with, with God's goodness, and we're asking that goodness to be a part. And so it's easy to discern what Jesus' name means. And, and, and when our prayers align with that, we have our answers. He says yes. And then we don't. When they don't, Jesus says no. Praying in the name of Jesus means we pray for the things that God wants. It's a privilege that we have as children of God to come boldly before the throne, break down those barriers, and ask God for what we need. We ask in Jesus' name. Uh, My son does this to me. Every time I work at home, we have two doors that lead into the office. One leads to our laundry room, and then if you go another three feet, there's another door, and it goes into our office or our internal storage device area. And, and that's where we dump everything. When someone's coming over, don't look in that room, okay? Uh, but it doesn't stop my sons. I can be on a Zoom call that's very important. I have to warn everybody on the Zoom call with me. My sons do not respect closed doors. They are going to barge in and ask me to solve something on their whatever they're working. Yet The other day it was build a catapult for me real quick, Dad. Uh, but you know what's beautiful? Is nothing stops them from coming in to ask. Yeah, it's annoying. It's one of the perks of working from home. But they have a relationship with me that they can come to me and ask, and I'll likely work on it for them when I'm there. It's a privilege, but there's a pain point. Sometimes the answer is no. I got a Sears catalog every fall, and I would circle the 40-inch big screen, and I'm nine years old. I don't need it, but I'm still asking for it. What was the answer every year? No. Why? It didn't line up with what was healthy for me. It didn't line up with what was good for our family. And so mom and dad said, you know, that's probably not a good idea. We're not going to do that. Eight-year-old Brad was disappointed. Nine-year-old Brad was disappointed. Forty-three-year-old Brad's a little ticked. be honest with you, I could have used that television. A misconception that we have because of this is that God will not answer our prayers or God does not answer our prayers. And I'll tell you flat out, that's a lie. God answers every single one of your prayers. God hears every single one of your prayers. Jesus promises us that our Father is good and he hears and he responds. We see this all through the book of Exodus, all through Numbers, all through David's ministry. God hears prayers and responds to them. We talked in the first, uh, first week that there are certain barriers, there are certain things that stop our prayers. There's free will. I can pray for someone to do something, but ultimately the choice is that person's. I can pray that God would move them, but that guy has a choice on whether or not they're going to respond. There's also God's will. Sometimes God sees something. We ask for something, and God goes, you know what, i got a better idea. I'm going to say no to this. And then there's the spiritual realm. There's, things, there's a spiritual battle happening right now in this room that prevents our prayers or delays our prayers from being answered. Sometimes we get answers, and the answer is yes. It's a green light. And it's great. The miracle occurs. The, the, the door is opened and, and the person responds. Green lights are awesome. Everything's moving in the right direction. You're going to be on time for work. You got the greens. Uh, and, and sometimes the answer is a yellow light. Or if you're in England, they call it the amber light. I don't really understand that. It's yellow. Uh, but we see this all the way in Scripture. Sometimes it's green. Yes. Sometimes it's yellow, which is probably worse than no, and it's, wait, yeah, I can see you need that. 
we're going to have you wait. There, there's plenty of examples in scripture of this. Moses led the people of Israel on a 40-year journey that should have only taken about two weeks. Yeah, things happened. There was, there was sin. They went to spy on the land and, and, and they said, we're not going to do this. But, but there's something that happened in that 40 years of wandering that prepared the people of Israel to take the land. So the, the answer wasn't no. The answer was, hold on. You're not ready for that yet. If the people of Israel would have walked straight into the land of Canaan, they would have walked by Pharaoh's army's outposts that were on the lookout for them. There were other people in the land, the Ammonites, that would have wiped them out completely. They had to fight some wars. And coming out of slavery, they were not prepared to fight those wars yet. And so God says, wait, you need some preparation before you march straight into that land. You're going to see some things that you're not ready for, and I want to give it to you, but not yet. Paul had to wait 11 years after he was knocked off his horse in Acts 9 before he made started his ministry. Why? There were people's hearts that needed to be changed because of Paul's previous life. He had to wait. Waiting is the most difficult part, but waiting tells you something, that you're being prepared for your eventual answer. The other day, Judah came into my office again in the middle of a meeting and said, uh, Dad, I want a wizard. And I looked at him and went, lizard, you want a lizard. And okay, you want a lizard. And it didn't take me long to have my answer. No, uh, I don't have anything against lizards. They're fine. I have no strong opinions. I don't necessarily want one in my house, but I'll catch one if I see one running by, and, and that's fine. I grew up with lizards around me. They don't scare me. But I'm, I'm looking at Judah going, you want a lizard. This boy has no idea of what it takes to take care of a lizard, and so I start asking him questions. I asked him, uh, okay, this sounds like an awesome idea. Hey, Judah, what, is a, what does a lizard eat? Well, I don't know. Chicken nuggets? No. Uh, I said, well, we can figure that out. They, they eat bugs and stuff, I think. And then I said, okay, how, how, what are you going to keep the lizard in? Uh, he'll just stay on my desk. No, that's not the way lizards work. Uh, then how are you going to keep the lizard warm? I'll put a blanket on him. These are all of his things. I'm just going, yeah, I have no problem you getting the lizard but there are some things that Judah needs to learn before I go to the pet store and buy him an iguana. He needs to learn how to take care of lizards. So my answer, my challenge to him was this. Go on your iPad in your showtime. They have a allotted amount of showtime per day. And I said, why don't you search what it takes to take care of a lizard? And then once you understand this, we'll talk about what lizards can do. Good plan, Dad. Gives me the thumbs up. I'm going to get a wizard. Okay. He wasn't ready. The answer for me, from me to him, was wait. The other part is that he'll continue to ask what he needs. He's not going to stop with that. He'll keep asking, hey, Dad, I learned more about what the lizards do. Oh, good, good. We're going to keep working. The answer to him was wait. And so he waits. And hearing you're not ready for something is often one of the most painful parts about our prayer lives. We think we're ready to handle anything that comes our way, but we're not. 
God is more interesting, interested in your flourishing than he is in meeting your short-term needs. And to flourish, oftentimes, we need to learn to wait. Roots take a long time for trees uh, to sprout before they grow. The roots come first. In order for trees to be healthy and strong, they have to grow first. And that takes a while, and we're no different. God wants us to wait. But it doesn't mean we stop asking. The other answer that we get when we pray, and there's always an answer, is the answer, no. And none of us like to be told, no. Uh, It's a red light. Uh, It's a hard reality. And whether we like it or not, no is a legitimate answer. I have a family, uh, my my family uh, have prayed for marriages to be restored. The marriages were not restored. My family has asked for other friends of ours to get pregnant, and they're still not pregnant. We've asked for people to be healed, only to have the person continue to be sick and die. What was asked for were good things. God is for life. God is for marriages to be restored. God is pro-children. God, God desires to heal. Yet in each one of these, the answer that we received was no. We've prayed for jobs for people, and the answer was no, and they're still left jobless. God, is, God honors work. God wants work. But the answer has been no. That's not the job for you. And there are many reasons why the no comes. But the, the bottom line is sometimes God says no. David in scriptures pleaded for the life of the baby between him and Bathsheba. Wanted the baby to be healed. Baby wasn't healed. The prophet Habakkuk uh, prayed for the hearts of Israel to change. God said no. Paul asked multiple times for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. It was not. God said no. Paul asked again multiple times that he go into Turkey and move his ministry into Asia. God said, no. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, if there's any way possible, Lord, remove this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't blame him. God said, no. No is an answer. It's not one we like, but no's the answer. When we hear no, we have, a, we have a chance to respond, and we can respond in various ways. An immature faith will say, uh, will react and reject God together and say, God doesn't answer prayer. He told me no. He didn't give me what I want. Therefore, he doesn't answer prayer, and I want nothing to do with him. So there is no God. That's not the right answer. Oftentimes, we don't know why we get the answer of no, and we won't until years later. I'm glad that God has said no to most of my prayers. I'm really happy about that. I'm glad that I didn't marry the girl in junior high I had a crush on. Really happy. I'm glad that there's some jobs that I didn't get. Because no led to a better response or a better better outcome. I'm glad God said no to me. Eventually, we get to the place, and maybe some of us are here, and maybe some of us have yet to get, get here. But are you able to thank God for the no answer? Where you say, yeah, I really wanted that. I didn't get it. Thank you, God, for telling me no. I avoid it. And then a few years go down, maybe even a couple weeks, and you go, ooh, that would have been a train wreck. Can you see the way God's no is actually sealing you from a disaster the answer no 
will come, though, before our ability to understand it. In Scripture, we see it this way. Paul's uh, answer of no for the thorn in his flesh allowed him to later realize that God's grace was sufficient for me, even with whatever that thorn might be. Paul didn't understand why he couldn't go to Turkey. Instead, God said, go to Philippi. And he started a church, the Philippian church, and then made his way into Rome. And from Rome, the gospel spread throughout the world. Jesus was told no. And aren't you thankful for that? Because if God said, yeah, you're right, this cross, probably not a, not a great idea. Let's try something else. We wouldn't have salvation today. Sometimes our reaction to know when we flip out and go the other way is short-sighted because we can't see from God's perspective. When we find ourselves at the red lights of our prayer lives, it's vital that we remember that our God is still loving, our God is still gracious, our God is still kind, and we never, his love never gives up on us. Even when he says no, his love doesn't, end, doesn't give up on us. I remember um, when uh, every single one of our, or both of our kids, when they were babies, would catch colds. Do you remember colds? We used to get those a lot. Uh, they were sick, and they, and they were miserable. We couldn't give them medicine. They were kind of in the in-between phase where it's like, I can give you NyQuil and you could sleep, but it says not under the age of 12. Do not give to this. Okay, I can't give you any medicine. And they were miserable. And so we'd end up, Carrie and I would take turns, we'd end up holding them all through the night, trying to comfort them, to soothe them. Tylenol wasn't an option. And, and they didn't understand why. They would just look at us saying, fix it. And I would say, I know, buddy, I can't. But here's what I can do. I can comfort you. I can hold you. I can help you sleep. I can put the diffuser on. These are some things that I can do. The answer is no, you're fighting off an illness. And I would tell them, they never understood. Your, white, your blood cells are making immunity, which is going to help you in the long run because science says this and this and this. And they're eight months old. They wouldn't get it. They don't understand why I said no. But during those times, all I can do was love them. And all they could do was receive my love in return and comfort they didn't know why they couldn't sleep, but I was willing to help them. They didn't understand why I said no, but they would always understand that we love them in the midst of it. Sometimes you and I will go through things that we don't understand, and God will say no. Your marriage will hit the rocks. Your job will disappear. The pain will not be healed. Things will be messy. Yet in those times when God doesn't stop those calamities from happening to you, his love still remains. This is how we build trust. When the no answer comes, we lean into the Father's love all the more. And then what Scripture tells us is we keep asking. Matthew 7 says, ask, seek, and knock. We covered that in the beginning. In the Greek, those are continuous present tense words, which means ask, keep asking. The parable Jesus tells is this woman who goes back and forth to this ruler every day. And every day, she's beating the door down of, of, the, of the throne room, asking, asking. Finally, the king responds. It says, knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. Jesus' suggestion to, suggestion to you and I is that we learn how to persevere in our prayers and how to pursue God in the middle of them. 
So how do we ask and keep asking when the answers don't come our way? Here's some, here's some tips, some ideas of what we can do. We pray with others. Bring other people into your prayer life. Hey, I need you to pray with me with this. Bring your small group, your accountability partner, your best friend, your spouse, whoever. Hey, would you pray with me this? Matthew 18, 19 says, again, truly, I tell you, where two or three of you agree on earth, agree about anything, they ask for it. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We ask others to help us. Moses was fighting a battle in Exodus 17, and he had his hands up. And every time his hands were high, the people down there would win, and, and, and the war would go in his way. Every time his, his hands fell, they would start losing. So what's Moses do? He asks his buddies to come help him. Aaron and his sister hold his hands up in prayer that God would bless the battle. So you invite others in. The other way we can pray is we pray incrementally. We pray in steps. We, we don't pray to the top step and say, we want 50,000 feet of prayer. We want this. No, try this. I'm going to pray for the first step. I want my friend to come to church on Easter. I want my friend to know Jesus. What's the first step there? Lord, start the conversation. All I need is a conversation to get it going. Start the conversation. Bring them across my path. The incremental prayers. There are big prayers, and there are times for big prayers, but there are also times for small prayers where they start building and building and building. And then we learn to pray the promises of God. Moses did this. David did this. Every time that you see them praying, they're hearkening back to a promise that God has made. God wants to kill the people of Israel. Moses goes, yeah, but you said you, said you were going to bring the promised land. Jeremiah prays this. You said you were going to restore us. And they're reminding God of his promises. God didn't forget. But they're saying, God, you said you would do this. Remind God what, of what he said. Paul says this in Corinthians. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. We pray for what we know God wants. The promises of God give us train tracks on how to pray for the will of God in the name of Jesus. And the last thing we do is we pray consistently. Uh, we stack dominoes, right? Every single one of these prayers is we come and we put, there's another prayer. And then, and then we, we pray again. And we pray a million times before the same prayer. And there's another prayer. And then we come back and we start praying and there's, a, there's another prayer. And we keep adding our prayers to this. There's two characters in the beginning of Luke named Simeon and Anna. And for years, they prayed and they prayed and prayed that they would see the Messiah. And every time they prayed, they'd stack a domino just like that. And they keep praying and they keep praying for God's Messiah to come. For years, these Simeon and Anna were not young. But soon, Mary comes walking in and they've been praying that day that they would meet the Messiah. And they kept stacking the dominoes. And then all of a sudden, that day, all the dominoes fell sometimes our prayer lives go on for way too long we feel but with every prayer we keep restacking the dominoes sometimes it's easy other times we can exhaust the 90 pack of dominoes and we have to go buy another one because the prayers just aren't coming fast but with every prayer we're growing in relationship with jesus with every prayer we're growing in vulnerability with jesus 
and we're learning what he wants from us. With every prayer, we're learning what the prayer of uh, praying in Jesus' name means. And we're stacking dominoes, praying for the breakthrough. Sometimes the breakthrough comes. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes we just keep stacking dominoes, and we're never going to be sure when the dominoes are going to fall. But the command is to pray. Paul says, pray without stopping. Keep praying. Whatever you do, keep asking God for the dominoes to fall. And they will. Not on your time, but on God's time. It might not be what you want it to be. It might not be for what you look like it to be. But the dominoes will fall. The heart will change. The situation will change. You will change. The mountain will be moved. And so we stack prayers with our friends. We keep stacking dominoes together. Prayer is simply asking God for what we need. It's the Sears catalog. I'm going to circle this and I'm going to keep praying. And so today, what are you asking God for? What's that thing in the back of your head that every time you pray, this is what I'm asking God for. We're praying for something bigger than us. We're praying for God to move. That thing you've desired God to do, have you stopped praying for it? You've given up hope? You've given up faith? What if the next prayer that you have is that final domino and you never prayed it? What if he's waiting for you to ask one more time and you didn't? It didn't come because you didn't ask. And so in this time of of quiet before Dylan comes back up with the worship team, I want us to continue to ask God for that one thing. What have you stopped praying for that you want to start asking Jesus for again? When you find it, or maybe it's something that you're praying for constantly, pray for it again. We have communion over there, and then there's a stack of dominoes. Feel free to take one. And what you can do is as you're going through your week, You can look at it and say, I've been praying for this thing for 20 years. And I'm going to stack another domino when I see this. Put on the dashboard of your car or or somewhere where you'll see it to remind you, keep asking. Feel free to take one. They're stacked in in an interesting way. That's cool. But grab one. Take it home with you. Put it in your pocket. Put it in that chair where you pray, where you have your devotionals. Maybe hide it in your Bible. Remind yourself that with every prayer, even though it's not answered the way I want it, It's me stacking yet another domino in faith that one of these days, God's going to answer and move on my behalf. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to meet our needs. Bring us today our daily bread. Bring us what we need, Jesus. like you did for 40 years in the wilderness, like you did for David when he was running, like you did for Elijah with the woman with the oil and flour. Every day you supplied what they need. Every day you answered their prayer. And so, Father, we pray like them. We know people who are sick and they need your healing. And you are God who heals. You desire this for us. So we pray your desires. We pray for your, for your healing. Lord, many of us are broken inside from various uh, things that have happened to us, trauma. And Lord, we want to be healed ourselves and you want to restore us. So Lord, we pray for your healing. We pray for your perspective in this. And we 
stack a domino. Because we believe that you'll answer prayer. Lord, give us what we need. Give us what we ask for. Because you're a good father who loves to give great gifts. That's who you are. Lord, give us the faith to keep asking. So when you're ready, the dominoes of communion are over there for you today.